Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. What is up? Here we go on a Friday, August 18th. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bill Press Show live on your radio, on Free Speech TV, on Facebook Live, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Here we go. What a day, what a week, what a month, what a year. Just like every day, man. Like, oh my God. It's, uh, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. I think I say that every time I host the show. I start out by just going like, I don't know where to begin because the mind reels, ladies and gentlemen. The mind reels with the avalanche of news that we see every single day. And just the com- complete lack of leadership or control or... Take your pick. Everything that Donald Trump is missing. We're going to try and sort through all of it with you here today on a Friday, August 18th. What a show. My God. We for, we we have combined the forces of Travis Waldron and Tyler Ricky Tynes, who will both be joining us in the second hour of the program. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Hide your kids. Hide your wife. Travis Waldron and Tyler Ricky Tynes. Because, look, th- we're going to talk a lot about the state of race here in America, the state of race relations, the state of racism and white supremacy and we've seen that play out in a lot of different places especially in the sports world uh and they're going to help us sort through some of that and also uh, in just a couple of moments we'll be talking to christina marcos from the hill to talk about what congress is doing about the uh most recent i don't want to say most recent because it hasn't really gone anywhere it's just getting louder uh but racist cries and white supremacist cries. We're going to get into all of that stuff, and we're going to bring you up to date on all the latest. But first, J.D. Bennett. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning. We begin with news of dueling rallies here in Washington, D.C. September 16th, two big protests are expected to take place on the National Mall. And, um, well, depending on how you look at it, these groups may have something in common or they may not. Uh, The mother of all rallies will be taking place in Washington, D.C. on September 16th. That was organized 
by uh, Trump supporters. Trump supporters, a man named okay. Tommy Gunn, known as the pissed off American on social media, says he wanted to create a huge event for supporters of Donald Trump. But that takes place at the Washington Monument. Down the street at the Lincoln Memorial will be the Juggalos. Fans of the Can I get a whoop whoop? Insane Clown Posse, <laughs> otherwise known as ICP. <laughs> ICP supporters will be protesting the fact that, uh, well, the FBI has classified the Juggalos as, quote, a loosely organized hybrid gang. Oh, my God. Do you know any Juggalos, Peter, in real life? Jamie, you're going to be shocked to learn that I know zero Juggalos really? in real life. Yeah. I would have yeah. thought, you know, the, the What do you off- mean you thought I would know some Juggalos? Well, I saw the face. What about me makes you think I would know a Juggalo? I wasn't going to reveal this, but I did find some face paint uh, in the closet back there. <laughs> so, uh, and just like a, a, an entire drawer filled with Fago. Should be... <laughs> Should be pretty interesting because there are, I mean, I think juggalos come from both sides of the political aisle. Sure. So uh, there could be some type of confrontation between the Trump supporters and the juggalos on September 16th here in Washington, D.C. Peter, you uh, began the show talking about white nationalists. One white nationalist uh, became a little famous this week, Christopher Cantwell. Christopher Cantwell uh, is a leader of one of the white nationalist movements, one of the leaders of the Unite the Right protests that took place in Charlottesville last weekend. Well... Chris Cantwell has had a bad week. We'll play some audio from him later on in the show. However, we have also learned that he has been banned from the popular dating website, OkCupid. OkCupid uh, released a statement saying they have zero tolerance for racism. We make a lot of decisions every day that are tough. Banning Christopher Cantwell was not one of them. You know, what I love about this the most is that all of these guys are so, in their heart, they're deeply libertarian, and they want these businesses to be able to discriminate against people of color or for whatever reason, and now they're turning it on its head and using it against them. So, screw you. If we have time later, let's read Christopher Cantwell's dating tips. They're awful. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It's a five minutes after the hour on a Friday, August 18th, wrapping up the week as we head into, I'm going to, I'm going to call it Eclipse Weekend. Eclipse, Eclipse Mania is sweeping the nation, at least like one particular path of the nation. Uh, are you buying into the Eclipse hype? You st- you strike no. me as not someone who's enjoying that. No, but I will uh, take this opportunity to do a little cross-promotion. Let's do it. Uh, the Bill Press Show, as you may or may not know, is on the District Productive Podcast Network. Yeah. Which is housed right here at this studio. We have some great podcasts. That's our baby. Food podcast, Add Passion and Stir. A, uh, a, I'd call it a feminist podcast. Hey, girl. 100%. Uh, but we have a special podcast. In fact, it's a new podcast that is launched with a special edition. It's called the All-American Solar Eclipse. It's hosted by a famed astronomer named Andrew Fracknoy. Uh, and it is fantastic. It'll give you everything you need to know about the eclipse. Just search the All-American Solar Eclipse on iTunes or Andrew Flat- Fracknoy or District Productive. It's there. It's so good. I have to say, I've, I've fully bought into the uh, eclipse mania. Uh, but a part of it is also that I have kids and like my kids are way amped about it. And like, you know, this is going to be a cool thing and it's happening. One of the best places to see it is in my hometown, which is where I'm going after the show today so that we could be on the beach and watch the eclipse in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, but like, I'm a little over the, the, the eclipse hysteria. Like everybody just relax. It's going to be fine. It's cool. 
But one of the things in this podcast uh, by Andrew Fracknoy uh, and Gil Gross, who hosted it as well, they, they call it the all-American solar eclipse because we're the only people who are going to see it this time around. It's literally, it's like a ribbon yeah. down, uh, you know, down the country. Yeah, it's just going to go like across the country from uh, the the great northwest all the way down through the southeast. So if you're in New York or in California, sorry, guys, you're going to be a little screwed. You're not going to see it. By the way, I, I did say you can search on iTunes. I would also highly encourage you to follow District Productive on Twitter at DP Podcast. At DP, as in District Productive Podcast, I better see some new followers there on our Twitter account because that's an easy way. I just retweeted the the podcast, so it'll show right up there at the top. That's a company man right there. That's a company man. Thank no, you. look, no, honestly, seriously, if, if you are a progressive of any stripe, you would get a kick out of a lot of the podcasts that we're doing at DP Podcasts on Twitter. Uh, but go listen to the, uh, the, the All-American Solar Eclipse hosted by Gil Gross and Andrew Fracknoy. We're going to listen to that on our way down to South Carolina today. Uh, I'll be listening to Perfect it Perfect prep. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get the kids ready. All right, so, oh, God. You know, I, this has been a really hard week for me to kind of wrap my head around. And, and just, just for some perspective, as I just mentioned, uh, I grew up in South Carolina. When I was a, 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 a kid and I was first starting, literally, I was 18 years old, I was starting in radio, uh, the big fight that was going on down there was South Carolina is one of the states that flew the Confederate flag on top of the capital, the state capital in Columbia, South Carolina. And there was a huge fight. I mean, a huge fight. And people were walking around with T-shirts with the Confederate flag on it that said heritage, not hate. There was a huge, uh, uh, dare I call it a controversy. But there were some groups that took the Confederate flag and put the colors of uh, like African colors on the Confederate flag that said your heritage is hate. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, which people, which like the, you know, Confederate defenders lost their friggin' minds over, which anybody that does that's a friend in my book. But like this has been raging for a long, long time. And, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday where they just said, like, how did it get so bad? How did we go from all of a sudden? We've got these white supremacy rallies. We've got a president who won't denounce them. We've got all this stuff. And I, I just kind of had to remind them, like, it never went anywhere. It, it's been here this whole time. We got a nice little respite from it with Barack Obama in the sense that we had a grown-up in, uh, in, in charge of the country who acknowledged that there were a lot of uh, underlying racist tones here in this country. But it never really went anywhere. And the thing that I think is so, I don't want to say it's funny to me, because it's not funny, but it's fascinating that these Republicans and these white supremacists, I'm not, I'm not necessarily lumping them all together. I'm just saying like these are, these are the people that you're hearing defend all this. They're so close. They're so close to having a breakthrough as to what the real problem is. You know, like Trump, when he was speaking earlier this week and he was like, well, look, look at you taking down these monuments to Robert E. Lee. What about George Washington? Did George Washington own slaves? Did Thomas Jefferson own slaves? Yeah, they did. And that's the point. This country was built on the backs of slaves. 
This country was built on genocide. This country, I mean, Thomas Jefferson, who we all hail as a great American, let's, let us not forget, not only did he have slaves, he fathered children with his slaves against their will. So, yeah, great American. And his mistress was still a second-class citizen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That didn't change. Never, never changed. Never, never fought to get her any kind of equality. By the way, say her name, Sally, Sally Hemings. Hemings. Never, never fought to to make the point that there's no difference between her and any other woman that would have his children. Kept her as a slave. And like, look, I'm not here to say like. Everybody that founded our country uh, is a monster, and we should, you know, completely uh, uh, drag them down and and all of that. But my point is, we come from violent, racist history. That is our history. I've seen so many people come out and say, "Oh, this is not who America is. This is not, you know, we are not a racist nation." Yes, we are. By the very definition of who we are, we are a racist, racist nation. That's what we were built on. That's who we have always been. And we can only get better, I think. You know, the one thing that um, I I don't want to put any of my personal connections out there, make any references to to people that I know that live outside of the bubble that is the Washington, D.C. area. But the one thing that we really need to confront is white people who don't want to have conversations about race. Yeah. Not because, you know, they they think everything is okay necessarily, but because, well, you know, they have other things to do. Yeah, look, I, look, I, I, will, I will grant this. Talking about race is hard. It, it is. That being said, if we're going to do anything and we're going to get better and we're going to get out of this crud that we're in right now, you're going to have to not only – have conversations about race, but we, as white people, we have to shut up and just listen sometimes. Sure. Uh, but like, look, I, it, it's it, it's it's a hard thing to sort of work through. Like, I have family. Uh, in fact, everybody in my family is from the South, right? Like, b- both sides of my uh, uh, both of my parents all come from the South. Very very deep roots in the South. Um. I don't necessarily think I want to know how deep those roots run, but there is something that we, that I have had to confront over my life. And it's just like, I come from a very racist background and a lot of white people do. And so there was a time, I mean, I knew immediately when we had this conversation about the Confederate flag, right? Which seems crazy that we're back debating this again, but for me, right? You have this Confederate flag that flew on top of the state capital of South Carolina. That represents everybody in the state. Like it or not, that represents everybody in the state. And that's wrong. Because a Confederate flag, if you're a a person of color and you look at your state capital and there's a Confederate flag flying across uh, or flying on top of it, what message does that send to you? For all of these white Republicans who spend their lives and spend their career saying, you know, oh, people of color need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and quit complaining about, you know, uh, and by the way, I'm not, uh, uh, this isn't me talking. This is what I've heard over and over and over and over and over again over the years. 
uh, move on, move on already. You guys need to get over it. It's just, it's old history. It's really hard to move on when it's being thrown in your face on top of your state capitol, on your street corner where there's a Stonewall Jackson monument or a Robert E. Lee monument saying like, hey, not that long ago, we didn't want you here. And some of these monuments were put up in like 1940s. So like people were alive to see this happen and go, oh God, they're putting up a monument to someone who fought on the battlefield, put their lives on the line to make sure that I, as a person of color, could be owned. And these monuments aren't real people, right? They're not dead. Like they're they're dead people, right? Sure. But they're made to look like real people yeah. who were heroes in some people's eyes, right? And in that sense, if they're made to look like real people and they're staring down at you in a public square, it should be intimidating, it should especially be intimidating. if you're a person of color. It should be very intimidating. And I've wrestled with this a lot because I am a history buff and 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 I do love, I have a very complicated relationship with the South, as I've mentioned. I, it, it, the South does something that a lot of places don't do is it throws a lot of its past right in your face and it makes you confront it. And you can either look at it and say, this is where we've come from. Or you can ignore it and say, oh, this is really pretty. And this is, you know, like like th- there are plantations all across the South that you can go and tour. And a lot of them uh, whitewash, pardon the pun, but gloss over the fact that, you know, it was run by slaves. Others make a very uh, pointed case that there were humans who lived here who were owned by other humans who did all of the work. And they sort of point that out and make you realize that, oh, this place of grand beauty that I'm around was built and put together by slaves. And so, like, on one hand, I I think that there is a place for this type of, not enshrinement, because I don't know that there's, like, an argument to be made to turn these people into heroes, but, like, we should know who these people are. History books. We should. Well, I mean, history books, yes, but also like it, it, I, I think that there should be a play. Like I look at I look at what happened in uh, in uh, 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 Germany. So sure. there were a lot of monuments around Germany that glorified or enshrined sort of Nazi sympathizers. And what they did is they got them all together and they put them in one specific park, and they were like, not. These people are wonderful, and we should come here and celebrate them, but this is what these people stood for, and this is uh, this is what happens if we forget our, our, our history, right? So, like, I, I think that there there is a place to learn about these people and see who they were and look at their faces and know that this is where we came from and this is what we were. Do I think that it belongs on the corners of inner cities? Like, I think of Mitch Landrew, the mayor of New Orleans in uh, May, who gave that speech about the Confederate monuments all around New Orleans. If anybody's been to New Orleans, you know there are a lot of people of color in New Orleans. And imagine being a black person walking down your street in New Orleans and there's a big statue of Stonewall Jackson. Take them down. Take them all down. Take them all down. I don't care where you put it. Put it in Richmond, Virginia, the capital of the Confederacy, <laughs> wherever you want to put it. But put a, get, build a park, like a, just a giant park where you put all these statues and say, look, this is where we came from. We must never, ever, 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 ever allow us to get back to this place again. That's it.
Donald Trump yesterday tweeting 22 hours ago, sad to see this history and culture of our great country being ripped apart with the removal of our beautiful statues and monuments. Ugh. You can't change history, but you can learn from it. Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, who's next? Washington, Jefferson, so foolish. Also, the beauty that is being taken out of our cities, towns, and parks will be greatly missed and never able to be comparably replaced. I mean, I just, I, I do understand and at least will entertain and listen to the argument that there is a place for Confederate history. Because I do think that if we forget what the Confederacy was fought for and we forget who we are as a nation, that we fought a war, that American citizens spilled blood, gave their lives to preserve black people being owned by white people not that long ago in the scope of history. If we forget that, we've lost. By the way, on Twitter at BP Show, we just put up a poll. How should we remember the history of Confederacy in America? What are our options there? Our options are obliterate it all. Get rid of everything. No no history, no monuments, no nothing. Uh, Tear down the monuments is your second option. Uh, That would mean that's your primary goal there. Your third option is keep it in the history books. And the fourth option is don't change anything. All right. Go check it out at BP Show, at BP Show. Follow us and vote. A couple of audio clips here, just so you know where the pulse of America's politicians are. Paul LePage, Jamie, your governor in the great state of Maine. I'm so sorry. He was given an interview to WGAN where he says this is all just an attempt to erase history. What they're standing for is equally as bad. They're trying to erase history. How can future generations learn if we're going to erase history? That's disgusting. I like. I would make the argument that that's what the other side is doing here. They're trying to gloss over the fact that the South won and the South fought the Civil War to preserve slavery. I am so sick and tired of hearing these arguments about states' rights, and the South fought this war about states' rights. I've heard it my entire friggin' life. I said earlier, I've heard so many ham-fisted defenses of what the Confederacy was and what the Confederacy stood for, and I'm, I'm living in a point now where I'm hearing the dumbest arguments I've ever heard in my life. Paul LePage goes on, this is such a loss if we were to lose these Civil War memorials. It's just to me, it's just like going to New York City right now and taking down the monument of those who perished in 9-11. That, it will come to that. I, um, I'm not totally sure what to say to that clip. In 9-11. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally, I'm completely flummoxed. First of all, two different fights. I mean, <laughs> he, I mean, it's like comparing a shoe and a shoelace. It's like it's completely different. But I guess, I guess here, this would be my point. I agree that we should have a 9-11 monument and a 9-11 memorial. The difference here is, in Paul LePage's world, in people who think that we should have Confederate monuments, they think that we should have a 9-11 memorial to Mohammed Atta and the people who flew planes into this country. They got it backwards. The Confederacy is not something that should be... 
fetishized, memorialized, and made to look like these guys were friggin' heroes. Like, if you want to compare the Confederate monuments to the 9-11 monuments, you should have a memorial or a monument to the hijackers who flew planes into America. Or, Or, like, if you look at Holocaust memorials around the country, which there are many, and there should be, they don't put up monuments and statues of Hitler and Goebbels. They put up memorials to the victims of this atrocity from history. They don't put up Hitler on a horse, you know, like they do with these Confederate assholes. I could say that. That's fine. Leave it up. Uh, look, here, and here's here's to me what is so bad about where we live in, in, in this uh in this time, you've got these guys who are out there and are treating this like it's all just a game. You know, Christopher Cantwell, this this racist, white supremacist, self-described racist, if white I, Excuse me. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is my this is my favorite because Christopher Cantwell, who is the sort of I, I would say is the main subject of that Vice News documentary which has millions of views now. And if you haven't seen it, you really should go see it. It's 20 minutes out of your day. It'll change it, I mean it'll flip your view on its head. It's fantastic. Of what happened in Charlotte. No matter no matter where your political views lie. Well, maybe, but I I I really think that no, you should watch it. I have Republican friends, not many, but I have some Republican friends who are still saying like, look, obviously white supremacy is bad and this is terrible and 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 uh, and these guys are bad, but like there were some of the anti-fascists there who were uh, being violent as well. All right, I would argue to you, go watch this video, go watch the, the the Vice News video. So Christopher Cantwell, turns out there's a good chance he could get arrested, and so he puts this video out on YouTube where he is blubbering like a little baby because he doesn't want to get arrested. And my new favorite TV show is watching these people who thought that this was just a game, that thought that this was just all something that they could have fun with, and now they're facing real consequences and seeing the face of racism in this country and having to like come to grips with that. Here's Christopher Cantwell to, speaking to a camera about the prospect of him being arrested. We've been coordinating with law enforcement the entire time. Every step of the way, we've tried to do the right thing. And they just won't stop. (laughs) We've done everything in our power. We have (laughs) used every peaceful and and lawful means by which to redress our grievances. (laughs) And our enemies just will not stop. Oh, please keep going, Chris. I just, I love, to, I, I love hearing him cry. Um, uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> we, have a, we have a new candidate for best sniff. It's a good sniff. <laughs> uh, you know, I, like, good. I hope this guy can't show his face anywhere. I hope he can't, like, he got kicked off of OK Cupid, right? Great. Great. Okay, Cupid came out and said, "We're not going to allow him to date on our website." Good, but for a couple of reasons, it's like taking this whole libertarian notion that businesses should be able to do whatever they want to do and flipping it on its head and saying, "Okay, 
We're not going to allow white supremacists to date on our website. This guy is now facing serious consequences for showing his stupid white face on camera and in the streets of being an out-and-out racist. And surprise, people have a problem with that. Go eat S. The fact that you put your face on camera crying and blubbering doesn't make me feel bad for you at all. In fact, it makes me happy. I'm so happy to watch you go on camera and cry that you can't date on OkCupid and that you might get arrested. I'm actually thrilled. This is the same thing as Mike Cernovich. Mike Cernovich, who doesn't identify as a white nationalist, but is certainly close. Yeah. He is a far-right propagandist. And Mike Cernovich reportedly is going through a divorce. Oh, gosh. And so he sits on his little periscope every night with his head on a pillow oh. and a glass of Merlot. Yeah. And cries. <laughs> By the way, can I read Christopher Cantwell's uh, dating tips? <laughs> yes, please, please, please. So we mentioned Christopher Cantwell, white nationalist, banned from OKCupid okay after that Vice documentary came out. Um, Gizmodo went ahead and did some research and looked up a blog post Christopher Cantwell made titled Eight Online Dating Tips. Oh, boy. For the ladies. For the ladies. Not only is he a white nationalist racist, he's also sexist. Yeah. Number Don't one, you love it when when you put out a little something for the ladies? Little, ladies love that. Little Venn diagram of awful <laughs> humans. Number one, unless you're here for, quote, casual sex, stop telling me you're, quote, sick of the games. Okay. All right, Christopher. Number two. What a charmer. Christopher Cantwell's dating tips. Your boundaries are complete BS. Number three, if you aren't interested. <laughs> whoa, whoa, your boundaries are complete BS? Yeah. That's, oh, Jesus. I think that spells that's that up. Like, that's rape. Number three, if you aren't interested in sex, I'm not interested in you. All right, well. Number four, if you think all men suck, generally we do. We do. This tells me you have a habit of choosing, can't say it on words, on air, guys. Okay. Bad guys. Bad guys. (laughs) Number five, in a photo of you and a friend, I assume you are the ugly one. Oh, wow. Christopher Cantwell's dating tips. Wow, why is he on OKCupid? It seems like he does does so well in real life. What a charmer. Number six and number seven, I'm here for you, not your ex-boyfriend. I'm here for you, not your kids. And finally, number eight in Christopher Cantwell's dating tips, a white nationalist. If all I can see is your face, you're a fat girl. Oh, man. Gosh, well, you know, uh, with an outlook like that, I don't know why he needs dating sites. I'm sure that women just throw themselves at him. Right. Yeah, the only thing he's looking for right now is legal help, right? That's it. That's it. Maybe he should, <laughs> he should go on Tinder and OK Cupid and just be like, looking for legal help, ma. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, by the way, one other one other person, and I, I, I just, I love, I, I just, seriously, I love listening to these people go on air and cry because this has all been a game to them this whole time, and now they're having to look people in the eye and defend. They're white supremacist or exclusive, exclusionary views. Melissa Francis, who I'm not familiar with, but apparently she's a Fox News contributor. She went on, um, what's that show with the women? Outnumbered. Outnumbered. One lucky guy. One lucky guy. It's a a panel of women, and they put one man on there. Uh, But she was one one lucky guy, by the way. Don't even. It's basically a porno at lunchtime on Fox News. It's what it is. If they, they, they put a guy in the middle. They, they put one. They should just call it Lucky Pierre. They put him in the middle. 
that don't. No, don't don't, don't Google that. Don't Google that. They put him in the, <laughs> in the middle, and and flank him with women, and uh, he has to provide the usually stupid outlook. But Melissa Francis provides a pretty stupid outlook. She's talking to Marie Harf, uh, formerly of the Obama administration, uh, about why she's out there defending Donald Trump and defending these white supremacists right to protest and and this is her reaction I am so uncomfortable having this conversation and that's what this woman said before this because I know what's in my heart and I know <laughs> that I don't think anyone is different better or worse based on the color of their skin but I feel like there's nothing any of us can say right now without being judged <laughs> White people crying on TV over what's happened in Charlottesville. Folks, we have reached peak caucasity, <laughs> to, to steal a term from Jesus and Mero. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she does, I mean, look, she when she starts talking there, she says, like, talking about this is hard. Yeah, it is hard. It's hard for a lot of people. It's hard for people across the spectrum. It's not that hard for white people to have a conversation here about this. But I just want to add this really quickly. And like, by, by, the way, by the way, I want to get to that. But like, if that's hard for you, we're never going to move forward. Right. Go ahead. So there's an interesting th- thread on Twitter yesterday that's also invited, uh, involved dating apps. Uh, so a woman uh, by the name of Debbie on Twitter, it's just Deb. Uh, she is a young African-American woman in Houston. She went on Bumble. She decided to just match with all of the white guys, whether or not she was attracted to them or not. Okay. She wanted to ask them how they feel about Charlottesville. Oh, so wow. He, her first question to these guys was, what are your thoughts on Charlottesville? Here are some of the answers from these white guys. Quote, I don't really get involved in politics, to be honest. I stay away from the news because I don't even know what to believe, and I don't think that there is much I can do to change anything. So I stay out of it, and I try to enjoy my life. Uh, one other guy said, by the way, that, that is, that is, I think probably what most white dudes would say. Sure. Another guy said, uh, I've never heard of it. Uh, another guy said, honestly, don't follow this crap. Don't pay for cable. And I'd rather just live my life without all the BS. That's not what you're supposed to do. Uh, That's not how it works. You're supposed to have a dialogue, especially with persons of color who know what it feels like to go through prejudice and racism and hatred and bigotry their entire lives yeah look that's that that's who we are now you know that's who we are as white people we have to sort of be there be that uh here's one one quote that our friend jonathan levy put up uh that that i um really feel like I, i i should read from julius goat uh historians have a word for germans who joined the nazi party not because they hated jews but because out of hopes for a restored patriotism or a sense of economic anxiety or a hope to preserve their religious values or dislike of their opponents or raw political opportunism or convenience or ignorance or greed that word is nazi Mm -hmm. nobody cares about their motives anymore Mm -hmm. so it's not a matter of carrying forward donald trump's words because you think he's got a good agenda, but as a flawed vessel, it's not about sort of uh, covering up the fact that what he said is, at best case scenario, um, uh, helps out the white supremacist cause. Worst case scenario, like, is a part of it. Anybody who enables us at this point is uh, is on that side of history.
Yep. Well, <clears throat> where do we go from here? Uh, will we see more monuments coming down? It looks like we will if the Democrats get their way. Kudos to them. We will talk about that and much, much more with Christina Marcos. She is congressional reporter from The Hill. I promise I will not scream during that segment. I can't promise that. But I'm not going to yell and shout and carry on. So <laughs> just stay tuned. We'll be right with a very, very quick break. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. video bill's commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show it is the bill press show 38 minutes past the hour here on a friday august 18th i've calmed down a little bit everybody relax everybody was yelling at me that i was too aggressive can we read some tweets jamie hit me with a couple of tranquilizer darts during the break i did uh the quaaludes are kicking in and i think i'm okay i think i'm fine right uh, we are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Jamie, do we have tweets? Yeah, so we put up a poll earlier about uh, how we should remember the history of the Confederacy in America, put up a couple of different options. There are plenty of options, uh, as we discussed at the beginning of the show. Some comments from our Twitter fan, Stuart, says, Monuments honor, take them all down. Uh, our guy Romaine weighing in, saying, The same people who use First Amendment rights to fly battle flag, mad at Kaepernick for taking a knee. I'm hearing this point quite a bit. I'd like to revisit this in the 8 o'clock hour. I think that's a, a very good point. Uh, and Bab says, uh, Confederate myth building, it's what Republicans do. Ronald Reagan legacy project is latest incarnation. Uh, something Ronald Reagan and I don't understand the rest of that Twitter. Comment. All right, but yeah, there you go. A couple of those, yeah. On Twitter at BP Show, <clears throat> we will talk about the um, Colin Kaepernick and the sort of the sports protest that we're seeing these days and how it relates to today. But uh, in the eight o'clock hour with Travis Waldron and Tyler Tynes from uh, Huffington Post and SB Nation. But for now, we are talking to Christina Marcos, congressional reporter for the Hill. Hi, Christina. How are you? Hi, Peter. It's good to be with you. Thank you so much for coming in. Um, well, so let's start. We were just talking about all the Confederate monuments. Let's let's pick it up there uh, because Democrats have unveiled a bill to ban Confederate monuments on federal property. Now, first of all, for those of you who don't know this, um, there are a lot of monuments to Confederate soldiers or generals and con- members of the Confederacy right here in Washington, D.C., in the United States Capitol. That's right. There are at least nine of that of these st- statues right in the Capitol. In the Capitol, yes. So nine Confederate statues in the United States Capitol. At least nine. There, by depending on, there are some statues that there are people who served in the Confederacy okay, but sure, weren't sure, like sure. big leaders. So if you count, those, what are the notable ones that that are there? So there's Jefferson Davis, for example. <laughs> okay, he's, all right. That's a big one. He's in Statuary Hall, which was it used to be the House Chamber, and now it's currently steps from the room that's now the House chamber. And there's also Robert E. Lee, a floor below in what's known as the Capitol Crypt. Mm -hmm. There's Wade Hampton, the famous Confederate general from South Carolina. There are a whole host of others. Most of them are pretty obscure people, but if you look up their biographies, they were pretty prominent people in the Confederacy. So our lawmakers have to walk by these statues every day that they're working. They do. And it's especially painful for a lot of members of the Congressional Black Caucus who say 
the that this is really hurtful to them and to see have to walk past this every day while they're serving as members of Congress. You know, they have to see walk by these symbols of how you know our history is fraught with their ancestors, how other ancestors were slaves. So, like, I don't mean to be too dismissive of it because I think it's a good idea to just get rid of them. But they've been there for a while, and you know, Democrats were in power for a while. Uh, and they've never, they they never really tried to take him down, or did they? Did, like Nancy Pelosi, when she was Speaker of the House, did she ever try and get rid of these? She successfully moved a statue of Robert E. Lee. It used to be in the most prominent place for these statues in Statuary Hall, mm. where Jeff Davis is, still is. But she moved him down to the crypt, which thousands of tourists still walk by it every day. But it's considered a somewhat less prominent place in the Capitol. But the issue is that under current law that Congress passed in, I think, 2000, it's up to the states to both decide what statues should be there. Each state gets two. And it's also up to states to remove them. Mm. So as of right now, Congress doesn't really have the ability to take down these statues. They could potentially move them, like Pelosi did, to somewhere else in the Capitol where no one would see it. But the states have to, they have to pass a resolution in the state legislature have it signed by the governor, and then agree on a replacement. I kind of feel like <clears throat> the Charlottesville incident uh, is reminiscent of, in, in, in just a way of changing the public perception, uh, it's similar to what happened in South Carolina when Dylan Roof shot up the uh, and, and killed those people at Mother Emanuel Church because he was someone who celebrated the Confederate flag. The Confederate flag was a big part of his life. And when that happened, that was it for the Confederate flag in South Carolina. Nikki Haley stepped up, got rid of it, moved it away. Like, it was a moment they seized on that. And I kind of feel like we're there now with these Confederate monuments. I think that we're sort of grabbing onto that moment um, to to sort of – you're seeing monuments come down all across the country. Last night in uh, Annapolis, they took down the, the statue of uh, Roger Taney, the guy who authored the Dred Scott decision. Right. And so – more and more and more and more you're seeing this stuff, these things come down without a fight. So it's kind of like they see this moment and they're seizing the moment. And and uh, and I, I think that's kind of how politics works sometimes, you know? They just sort of, they, they, like, they found this opening and they're taking it. I think we'll be shocked to hear that that's sort of, um, that that's where we are with... Uh, the monuments that they're, that they're all over the Capitol, they're all over DC, they're all over, um, you know, especially the Southeast and the Mid Atlantic, they're all over the country. Exactly. Right? I think people are just ready to see them come down. So lawmakers <clears throat> are reacting to Charlottesville and Donald Trump's comments. Trump put out a fairly watered down statement a couple days after it happened, and then undid all of that with his press conference when he was talking about infrastructure. So we've seen some some lawmakers push back. Against Trump, uh, Peter King, most uh, recently, where he was. Well, for, first of all, actually, Jamie, let me let me back up because I want to play the Bob Corker clip first, because uh, the second one where he says that Trump has no stability and essentially calls him incompetent. The president has not yet um, has not yet been able to demonstrate the stability uh, nor some of the competence that he needs to demonstrate in order to be successful. And a lot of people would point out that a lot of this white supremacy 
white supremacist sympathizing comes from Steve Bannon. So Peter King said it's time that to, we should just fire Steve Bannon. I think it's important for the president to fire Steve Bannon. He should go. I mean, what he said uh, the other day where he was saying that he hopes the Democrats use race as an issue because that's a winner for Republicans. Uh, that, to me, is exploiting the racial issue that can't be allowed. Also, the fact that he is undercutting the president, the secretary of defense, the secretary of state, and the, uh, the head of the National Security Council on North Korea. To me, uh, his time in the White House should be over. So Republicans are kind of turning on on Trump. What does that mean for Trump and his agenda and his presidency? It's like I hadn't really I wasn't really ready for that. Well, this has been building for a while. I mean, if you look at the big picture, remember back in January, for example, after the inauguration and Trump insisted that it was the most attended inauguration of all time when there was photographic evidence that it, it wasn't. And the media was freaking out because here's this photographic evidence and we have this president and his press secretary pushing something that's clearly not true. But Republican lawmakers willing to, were willing to brush it off and say, well, you know, he's just complaining. He's just upset with how the media treats him. They're trying to make excuses, willing to look past it. Fast forward to now. And they're yeah. willing to say things that like that he isn't competent and he's not demonstrating stability and he needs to fire his chief strategist. I mean, they're... Republicans are increasingly starting to feel like Trump isn't useful to them anymore. At the beginning, a lot of them, they, a lot of them weren't really on the Trump train last year, but mm. they were willing to give him a chance. And they thought this is an opportunity where we have unified control of government. We, we can, we, maybe we can get something done. But as we're seeing, they're not able to fulfill the big things they campaigned on. They're all feeling downcast about their ability to govern right now. And so they're more willing to break with him. We saw Congress with Republicans with the help of Democrats pass forced Trump to pass, sign legislation that limits his ability to lift sanctions on Russia. We've seen Republicans push back on Trump going after Jeff Sessions. You saw multiple Republican senators introduce legislation to prevent him from firing Mueller amid the investigation. So they're, they're much more willing to stand up to him at this point. And this may be perhaps be the star of some new chapter. That's kind of, I, I, I do, I mean, I'm hesitant to say that, but I do kind of agree with you. This this feels like the moment after the tape surfaced of Donald Trump admitting to sexual assault and, and proudly joking about how he sexually assaults women, uh, the Access Hollywood tape. And a lot of Republicans distanced themselves from Trump. They still voted for him. Uh, and a lot of them have certainly come back into the fold and are his, right. are his buddy ag- again. But like, this does have an air of this guy really lost us. And not so much because um, he said something so egregious in their eyes, even though I think it was egregious. It's just like this is not something that you can win on. You're not going to win that fight. No. You know? And he, he picks he picks the weirdest hills to die on. Yeah. I mean, they, they were also baffled by, I mean, there are a whole list of things to choose from. Sure. Like when we went after Mika Brzezinski on Twitter. Right. And, right, and instead of having reporters in the Capitol ask them about their preferred agenda item, here we are asking them about: Do you think it's appropriate for him to go after a female cable news host? Yeah, for her looks. Right. L- lest we forget the the uh, comments where he said that there were good people on the white in the white supremacist movement, good fine people, and that both sides were responsible for what happened in Charlottesville. That happened at Trump Tower when he 
was supposed to be rolling out an infrastructure plan. He had Elaine Chow standing next to him with his long list of all the things they wanted to get done on infrastructure. Nobody remembers that. There's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it, and you don't have any doubt about it either. And and if you reported it accurately, you would say. Nothing about infrastructure there. No, that certainly (laughs) wasn't the lead story. No, not at all. Like that was, I mean, that could have been a moment for Republicans to say, like, infrastructure is a is a winnable issue for Republicans. It is. Infrastructure is totally a winnable issue for Republicans. It's something they could get Democrats to work with them on if they wanted to. But Trump has alienated Democrats so much that even a lot of them who, for years, have been wanting to push legislation to improve the nation's infrastructure are saying, I don't want to work with Trump. I don't trust that guy. No way. No way, because, like, this is what happens. I mean, imagine, imagine if he had Paul Ryan and any other Republican that wants to like work with him on infrastructure at that press conference, and he had said that with grinning Paul Ryan next to him. Can you imagine? And, like, it could absolutely happen. Oh, like, yeah. if, if I'm Paul Ryan and I go to a, an event with Trump and I stand next to that could absolutely happen. I'm not going to go into hypotheticals. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go to hypotheticals. That could have happened. <laughs> So, like, yeah, I mean, the, the threat of having him bring you down to his level is very real for Republicans. It is. I mean, that's why I'm sure none of them want to be anywhere near him when he's potentially going to take questions from reporters. So on this, we started there talking about Steve Bannon and, and whether or not he should go. Do you think that he survives all of this? Hard to say. I mean, we've been you've seen reports for months that Bannon's on his way out. Bannon could be fired any day now. But here we are in August and he's still he's still there. So. And Peter King isn't actually the first Republican to call for Bannon's firing. Mm-hmm. Back in April, uh, Ileana Ross Layton, who's a centrist Republican from Florida, who's retiring next year, she said Bannon should be fired. And I, she, she said at the time, I think his days are numbered. Yeah. Well, we are. not yet. Jeez, I don't. I just don't know. I just don't know. I think that Trump is really kind of. He's got to have someone to help him with that policy stuff. And I think that Bannon has convinced him that he's the guy. I don't know. Um, the threat of white supremacy, I think, is very real, as we saw in in Charlottesville, and it's not something that I think that we have necessarily taken seriously. Um, GOP lawmaker uh, Bob Goodlett, Goodlett, is that right? They say that the chairman, yes, the chairman, yes. Uh, he is uh, asking that there be a congressional investigation to white supremacists in this country. Which I think is an I think it's an interesting sign from Congress that they're ready to sort of like look into this at least. But what could we expect out of that? Well, Goodblatt is actually not interested, in, or he's saying there's no hearing that they're going to schedule at this point. Daryl Issa, who's a me- Republican member of the Judiciary Committee, and you may know him from being the oh, House yeah, okay, Oversight right, Committee right, yeah, Chairman. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, well, bear in mind, he's one of the most vulnerable House Republicans uh, in next in next year's elections, and he's sought to distance himself from Trump at times over the last year. And so yesterday he uh, issued a letter to Goodlatte saying we should hold a hearing on this. But Republicans aren't, this is something that Democrats have been actually been wanting Republicans to look into for months. I mean, earlier this year when there was that attack in Portland where um, these, oh God, yeah. where those uh, two Muslim girls on the train yeah. were attacked um, Benny Thompson, the Democrat on the House Homeland Security Committee, actually called for hearings at the time into the threats of from white supremacy, but that went nowhere. 
And so Michael McCall, the chairman of the Homeland Security Committee, has agreed that, well, they're already having this hearing in September about about terror threats, and therefore we can talk about Charlottesville there. But Democrats are saying that's not adequate because they think there should be something devoted separately into examining the threats from from this emerging, newly re-emerging threat. It, like, we're not... You're not seeing a lot of people race out there to call this terrorism. What happened in Charlottesville? I mean, th- like a, a a man was arrested for mowing down a crowd of protesters and killing somebody. Trump hasn't called him a called him a terrorist. He hasn't even reached out to the victim's family yet. So, like the fact that we uh, are here looking at it as terrorism, I think, is a step in the right direction. But I'm just I'm a little skeptical that anything's going to actually come of this because it's. It's Trump at the top here. Yeah. Well, another factor, too, and Congress doesn't come back until day after Labor Day. And there there's still a few weeks between now and then there could be three different Trump news cycles by the time we get there. So unfortunately, I mean, this is a very serious issue. It's entirely possible that there will be some other controversy at the forefront of Congress's mind by the time September rolls around. Yeah, you know, that's that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I was just looking. Trump hasn't tweeted in 17 hours. Wow. Is, yeah. Well, it's still early. Yeah, the but he's, still he's usually fired off a couple by now, right? <laughs> he's going to Camp David today, so he's preparing to walk into the dump. So he's oh, probably, you know, yeah. cleaning himself. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a <laughs> lot. Making sure, he's sanitizing. Like, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um. So we've got about we've got about three minutes. I want to, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Trump's agenda um, and what's coming up next and how Congress is going to work with. It. We talked about this a little bit, but like you know, Trump has a supermajority. He or he has the House, he has the Senate, he has the White House. Um, he could really screw this up, though, because you know you had uh, where you could get something done on Trump Care, and then that all fell apart. The next big thing was uh, tax cuts, and or tax reform, I should say, uh, and he's pissed off everybody in the business community now with his comments. Like his business, commu- his business panels have completely dissolved. Yeah, and re- Republicans who've been wanting to push this, they certainly aren't happy. Uh, chairman uh, Kevin Brady, who's the chairman of the main House committee that's in charge of the tax code, he gave an interview. Well, he gave a speech earlier this week at. Uh, to promote tax reform. He was interviewed, interviewed by Bloomberg before. And what, what question do you think Bloomberg led the interview with? <laughs> right, right, right. And so here's this chairman of the committee who's been wanting to reform the tax code his whole life. And first question is, so what do you think of Trump's response to this white supremacist rally? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I get it. You have to ask that question. I mean, these are guys that put him into office. So how... How can they work with him? And also, I'm surprised they haven't learned their lesson yet. Well, they're 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 trying to hold out hope that maybe there's something they can get done. But they're at some point you have to wonder. I mean, Mike Pence is he's a former House member, and there are some members who think maybe he'd be more competent than Trump. Mike Pence, so, Mike Pence, but, Mike Pence, who earlier in the week said he stands with Trump on his comments about Charlottesville. Right. But I mean, if there was if Congress were to try to force Trump out somehow, I mean, he remains very popular with their voters. There's not a majority support for impeachment or anything like that at this point. So 
Republicans feel like they've just got to make the best of it. Yeah. And I stand with the president and I stand by those words. That's not good. That's not good. I like if the mood of the country is going away from that and you tie yourself to him, I don't know. But also at the same time, to your to your point, Mike Pence knows how I, I think I think Mike Pence would know how to get things done. Whereas Trump clearly does not. Trump is a Trump is Trump. So yeah. it's hard to he's not I mean, a typical president that we would see that like Obama did during when Congress is moving Obamacare. I mean, he went out there and held rallies to specifically try to sell the major points of this legislation, whereas you're not really seeing that with Trump. Like a lot of his recent rallies leading up to uh, where it failed in the Senate, he'd have these rallies, but would mention it briefly, but that wasn't really the focus of what he went out for. Christina Marcos, congressional reporter for The Hill. Follow her on Twitter at CI Marcos. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Such good stuff. Uh, we'll see how this all plays out. We're going to talk the intersection of sports and politics next with Travis Waldron. Reporter this for Post. is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show on a Friday, August 18th. I appreciate each and every one of you tuning in. We've got a uh, really exciting hour on tap. We've got Travis Waldron, our friend from HuffPost in studio. Hey, Travis, how you doing? Great. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. We'll be joined by Tyler Ricky Tynes from SB Nation. A lot of sports this hour, but... Sports is sort of like a microcosm of everything that's going on in this country. I think there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot going on in the sports world that relates to where we are uh, as as a nation. So we're going to talk about all that stuff. Remember, you can watch us on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. Watch us on Free Speech TV, and you can watch our videos all day long at YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. And if you are a podcast fan, folks, check out Bill Press Show. On iTunes, or just go to BillPressShow.com if you're not an iTunes user. Uh, we've got it up there every day, and you can hear the entire show unedited. Put all the good stuff in. It's all killer, no filler, <laughs> all the time. That's how we do. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of things, a lot of sports, a lot of politics with Travis and Tyler Tynes coming up in this hour. But first... This Jimmy Benson, Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Friday morning. We begin with the NBA. It is the sports hour here on the Bill Press Show. Let's do it. The Golden State Warriors' Kevin Durant, also known as the star player who did not choose my Boston Celtics uh, in July of yeah. last year, uh, has given an interview to Chris Haynes of ESPN and was asked whether or not he will be visiting the White House as a part of the Golden State Warriors' honor uh, at the White House. You may remember the Patriots. Many 
New England Patriots, uh, well, not many, a few New England Patriots shows not to attend the White House ceremony. Kevin Durant said, quote, I don't respect who's in office right now. I don't agree with what he agrees with. So my voice is going to be heard by not doing that. Is it not going to the White House? He goes on. That's just me personally. But if I know my guys well enough, they'll all agree with me. So Kevin Durant, as far as I know, the first Golden State Warrior to officially come out and say he will not be attending the White House ceremony. I'm not the biggest Kevin Durant fan, but good for him. I would be really shocked if any of them go. Especially Steve Kerr, who's been pretty political well, as well. And Steph Curry, you remember, Their criticized the uh, Under Armour CEO for joining Trump's council, oh, yeah. his business council. So, uh, Pachulia will go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go and uh, what's the uh, Javale McGee will just go like just as like a joke. yeah because you know yeah you'll get a free lunch a, out of it. He's yeah. a goofy okay. guy. Uh, to a new study from the website Fanatics. Yes, the site where you buy jerseys like the one I am wearing conducts surveys. Did you know that? Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. This is what I love about Boston sports fan. Right. Is they're Boston sports fan, and then they assume that you forget every day right. that they are a fan of Boston have sports. So you. they have to remind you every single day. <laughs> Go ahead. They asked, Fanatics asked, which NFL team fans are the most dateable and least dateable? Who was okay. least? Who was least, Jamie? Uh, can you guess, Travis? <laughs> yes, I can. I got a I good, have a guess. good idea. <laughs> Anyone? It's probably the New England Patriots. That yeah. is correct. That's, of course, it's correct. <laughs> it's of course, it's correct. Seventeen percent of the twenty nine hundred people they surveyed said they'd never date a Patriots fan. <laughs> Number two, can anyone guess least dateable? Um, this one's actually kind of obvious too. Is, eh, it, is, this, is, obvious. It, is this NFL or all sports? This is just NFL. Cowboys. 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 Number two. All right. Cowboys. All right. Number two. Number three. Least dateable. The Steelers. Number four. The Packers. And number five. The Falcons. Ooh, the Falcons. Losers. I don't get the Falcons. I don't think fully understand that one. What about the most? Most dateable. This one you would never have guessed. This one. Uh... It's in a big dating market, if you will. San Francisco Giants. You're very close. The Niner? The Raiders? Well, the Giants are baseball, but... I thought this was all sports. No, this is NFL. Number one, most oh, dateable shoot. are the Los Angeles Rams, formerly the St. Louis Rams. There no are no on... Rams. I was going to say, they don't have any. Number two, most dateable Detroit Lions fans. Number three, Arizona Cardinals. Number four, Buffalo Bills. God bless them. Yeah. And yeah. number five, the Los Angeles Chargers. Yeah, they're just dating Bills fans out of pity. <laughs> <laughs> All right, stay tuned. We're going to take a very, very, very quick break. We'll be right back to Travis. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Here we go. It's the Bill Press Show on a Friday. One more hour left. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Peter Ogburn. I am sitting in for Bill today. We have a jam-packed hour with Travis Waldron, our friend, reporter from HuffPost. He's in for the hour. And then we'll be joined by Tyler Ricky Tynes from SB Nation here in just a couple of moments. Uh, we're going to talk some sports. We're also going to talk some just general, like, intersection of sports and race and politics and we're going to we're going to we're going to get some things out here today. So, I hope Let's you're all it. I hope you're all along for the ride. Um Travis, I want to start first of all, you like me are a southerner. Mm-hmm. You're from Kentucky. I mean, 
I don't think most Southerners would view me as a Southerner. I call myself a reluctant Southerner. Okay, I, like that's how I describe myself because I, I like I, there is a some sense of pride of like I, I'm not one of these people that like get super amped up about like patriotism or localism right. or anything, but like there's a certain sense of pride that like I came from of the course. South and of course that helped there form we go. me. There we go. So <laughs> there we go. There we go. Thank you. Um, but you're from Kentucky, and you guys have a pretty terrible governor. Uh, I remember one time no at comment. I remember one time at CPAC, like four or five years ago, I got cornered by this lunatic who would not shut up, and was just blah 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 blah. blah. And I, I finally just was like, I've got to go. This is obnoxious. I'm not here for the cause. I'm just here to gawk and watch you guys. And I walked away, and I said, that was the most annoying guy I ever met. You know what? That guy's the governor of Kentucky now. <laughs> that was Matt Bevins. That was the guy. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe, like later on. I go, oh god, that's that guy. Uh, that's that terrible guy. Um, but so we're in this moment in American history where our president of the United States went up in front of the nation and said that there were some good, fine people in this crowd of white supremacists, and that there were some bad people on the side of protesters who were against that worldview, and it became immediately obvious to almost everybody that this man is uh, unhinged and maybe deranged, and a real conversation should probably have to happen about his mental state, except for Matt Bevins. Matt Bevins came right out, and, and, and he agrees with Trump. Agreed with him, specifically mentioned, as our president said, I believe is is what he said that all sides were guilty of the violence in Charlottesville, and you know, I mean, this was a. It's con. I mean, the interesting thing is this comes at a time when, in Kentucky, they're having a a lot of conversations about Confederate monuments, and the white supremacist groups have, openly talked about going to Lexington, yeah, to rally yeah. because they're trying to remove statues, and you know, I just think it's it's you know, Mitch McConnell, came out. And said, you know, there. I think his quote was, "There are no good Nazis." Yeah. And Mitch McConnell. It's really easy to taken, say that, guys. Sure. That's. I mean, like. I, I mean, look. I, I don't I, think Mitch McConnell deserves a ton of credit. for Sure. It. I mean, this is a guy who took pictures in front of. I mean, there's that famous picture of him in front of a Confederate flag. A huge Confederate flag. Um. And eventually, they're going to have. You know, the Republicans who are denouncing all of this are going to have to act. But I think the interesting thing with Bevin is this is not the first time he's echoed Trump. Uh, he did it. He's kind of taken the same tack toward the media as Trump, and he's, I think, positioned himself in a lot in in a lot of ways to be sort of the Trump governor. Uh, they they have a lot of the same approach to things, the fighting on Twitter, the yeah. everything, and I you know I think it was for Bevin to come out and say um, that all sides were to blame at a time when this debate is not is happening everywhere. I think is uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It's it's unfortunate. I, I also certainly think it's tone deaf. I, I, tone, think, I think tone deaf is the thing. I mean, he he said, you know, but I, don't, I also don't think tone deaf is strong enough because that's uh-huh. like, they're, they're like there are some people who thought that like Trump care was the right thing, and I sure. think that was tone deaf. But I, I think this is like tone deaf and also like borderline dangerous. Yes, I think that's the thing. Is you know, I think if you if you actually read his comments, you know, he's pretty strong in saying that. You know the Nazis and the Confederates and neo Confederates, whatever you want to call them, yeah. were were wielding hate. 
Yeah. Uh, the problem is then you you can't equip you can't equivocate. You can't say that the people who who are out there specifically to combat Nazis and neo Nazis and white supremacists are roughly equal or roughly as guilty. Yeah. Uh, especially when you know we we watched a video of a car driven by a white supremacist run over people and killed one person from Kentucky, right? He was from he Kentucky. was I think originally from Kentucky originally and. Kentucky. You know, kills one person, injures nineteen. We we see the videos of, you know, the twenty year old black man getting beat by a crowd of white supremacists. Like, you know, it was pretty clear where the majority of the violence came from, or at least the worst of it. The worst. And of it. Uh, you know, and and still, again, even to the point, these these people are out here spreading ideas that need to be banished from our society, if not, you know, legally, because. We have the First Amendment. We yeah. have free speech, and uh, but they need to be. These are not ideas that are acceptable. I think and, that I, I think that the danger, the real danger here with Trump and Bevin, is, um, and this is kind of dicey, right? Because I do like I, I'm a big, big fan of the First Amendment, mm-hmm. right? As I know you are too. But I think that there should be a level of uh, discomfort for these white supremacists and white nationalists. If you want to protest and you want to go and you want to say these horrible things and you can get a crowd to do it, part of me thinks that you have that right to do that. But I also hope that it becomes very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for you and that you have a hard time getting a crowd. And that you should be shamed for it. Well, not the, not given a sort of like a little bit of wiggle room. That's the main or a lot thing. of wiggle that's room. That's the main thing is I think, you know, every inch that you give these groups is a mile lost. Yeah. And that's you know that's the problem when it it's one thing when it comes from the internet or wherever, but when it's a governor, when it's the president to essentially open the door to well they might have a case. Yeah. on whether it's violence or anything. I mean, th- these are groups that are going to take that and run with it. The Confederate monument argument is um, not new, but it's it, it's new it's new to like the the national discourse, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I, I, I grew up in a time when in South Carolina we were debating taking the Confederate flag off the state capitol. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we've sort of grown to a point now where we're talking about these Confederate monuments. It just keeps going and going and going. It, 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 it's it's a reminder that we have so many ties to that dark mm-hmm. uh, history that, that we have as a nation. But um, the Confederate monument argument, I, I think, is uh, is an interesting one. And you do cover a lot of, like, the intersection of sports and politics. You said that in, in Tampa and Florida... There are sports teams that are getting involved in getting these Confederate monuments off the streets. There are. Yesterday, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Buccaneers, and the Lightning came out and said they would help fund the removal of a Confederate memorial outside the courthouse there, which is pretty cool. I mean, they, they you know, Tony Dungy, who used to coach the Buccaneers, came yeah. out and also donated money. So what happened was uh, Tampa's county commissioners voted essentially that they didn't they weren't going to cover the cost of moving these so if fundraisers had 30 days to raise the money which i think was about 150,000 dollars to move this statue to another city in florida and 
you know, they were, they were doing well. They got a big donation from the chamber of commerce from a, another businessman, I think. And then it, the rays and the bucks and lightning all stepped in and, uh, said they were going to help. They didn't give a dollar figure, but I would imagine that, you know, it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 It's enough to to get it done to to, to make it happen. And, uh, you know, it was really good. Tony Dungy came out, he gave $5,000 to the campaign and specifically challenged the three teams to do it. And a few hours later, they did it. Some things uh, get done it's sometimes. Nice to, you know, and <laughs> the thing is is you know, we always hear how these teams are part of a community and that like they're they're we're we're not a team, we're our fans are a community and to see them actually take a a stand in Again, I think an issue the statues obviously I think they're you know, people can debate how we do that and, and whatnot. But I I don't think there's on an issue where it seems pretty clear cut which side you would want to be on if you were part of the community in their shoes, I, I think it's it's good to see them come out and, and take that stand and you know, it's a it's they didn't stick to sports. I and yeah, like yeah, exactly, exactly. Stick to stick to sports. Uh, we're, we, by the way, one of the one of the things that's obvious here in this conversation is is the Colin Kaepernick discussion. Stick around. We're going to talk about that uh, with Tyler Times from SB Nation. He's done a lot of writing on that, and and I want to sort of bring him into that conversation when we get to it. But um, speaking of sports, uh, Jamie wearing his Red Sox jersey. In case you forgot, he's a he's a fan does he of- ever not. <laughs> He sleeps in it. Yeah, he, he showers. That's what I it. assume. He's this socks. hasn't been washed since I bought it. There's a, uh, a year or two ago. There's a, there was some news out of Boston, there which was. which which is I know you're gonna hate me saying this, maybe the ro- most racist city in the nation, Boston. Like Boston has it a has a reputation big as being big most big problem with like open racism. Um, and as you pointed out, and as I've I've pointed out before. Uh, the Red Sox were the last team to integrate in Major League Baseball, and they have a it wasn't just last; they were way last. They were right, like last by twelve a lot. years, <laughs> yeah, last by a lot, right? Uh, and they held out on putting uh, people of color on their uh, on their baseball team. Well, yesterday there was some some good news. Yeah, so they uh, officially came out. Red Sox owner John Henry, who also owns the Boston Globe, he was a steel driving man. Interestingly, told the Boston Herald, the conservative paper, that. Uh, the Red Sox will lead a movement to change the name of the street, which um, Fenway, Fenway Park, where the Red Sox play, is called Yaki Way. Or the Red Sox Fenway Park is at 4 Yaki Way. Tom Yaki, uh, the Red Sox longest owner, I think it was about 1933 to, I don't 76. know, 76, there you go, uh, was a racist. And that's just... Point the most blank. bigoted man in baseball. He was the most bigoted Jackie man in Robinson baseball. Called him. In fact, the, wow. I'm wearing the jersey of Ted Williams, the greatest hitter al- alive. I read Ted Williams' biography about a year or so back. Yes, he's the greatest hitter alive. Uh, is he still alive? Is he still alive? Excuse me, greatest hitter that is ever played frozen? in baseball. <laughs> yeah, he's got he's got that frozen head. Does that count as alive? Ted Williams? Frozen yeah, he's still head. alive. Yeah, he's I used to play in a band called Ted Williams Frozen Head. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah. Wow. Anyway, in the Ted Williams biography, they mentioned that Tom Yaki had a plantation in South Carolina would invite uh, Red Sox players, white Red Sox players, to come on the plantation. But all those black field hands that uh, were basically the backbone of that plantation, they were not allowed inside. That was 1943. So 1943. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the, this is an interesting story because I don't there, – there's been a – and Jamie, correct me if, I, if I'm wrong, but there's been a fairly sizable media movement against, like, this – 
naming, keeping this street name for a few years now, right? Yeah, in fact, the Red Sox mentioned in this article that they went to the mayor's office, not under Marty Walsh, who is very fiercely a Democrat, uh, to try to change this before, and the mayor's office in the past has said, nah, we don't want to open that can of worms. Right. But Which I mean, is they, not the approach that you should be taking. To well, they, like well, this. you know, I think it's it's interesting. You mentioned the the history of Boston's racism, but it how much it's bled into sports because and and, and not just. I mean, first off, you the Red Sox passed up a chance to sign Jackie Robinson. Yep, mm-hmm. they missed out on Willie Mays. Uh, if you go back and read Howard Bryant's book about being a black baseball player in Boston. He write, he wrote that in the 70s, 80s and into the 90s, black players would either make it clear that they had no interest in playing in Boston or insert language into their contracts that prohibited them from being traded to Boston. And even into what we had David Price over the over the winter say that he had heard the n-word from fans and, and Adam, wasn't believed Adam, by media members and wasn't in Boston, believed, which was and, disgusting. And then Adam Jones. Same with Adam Jones. A lot of people didn't believe him people, either. There yeah. was you know, the whole kind of conservative sports internet sphere that truthered Adam Jones saying he got called the N-word by a Boston fan. It, this is stuff that like is still bleeding into Fenway Park. Yeah. It's not just the street name, right? And I think this is an important step for John Henry to take because this is – you know, Tom Yawkey wasn't wasn't just your run of the mill baseball racist. He, you know, again, Jackie Robinson called him the most bigoted man in sports. There's a, there, there is a, a not an argument, but there is um, if if you look through the, the the lens of history, right? There are a mm-hmm. lot of people who back then did the wrong thing. Sure, right, and and. That, but it was also just like the thing to do at the but time. I'm not defending it, but like right. they went along with the but flow. But it's also it's this. This is worse than it's that. It's similar to the whole Confederate Monuments debate, right? Yeah. Because the people that we're putting on these statues were the leaders yeah. of the wrong thing, right? They like they weren't just run of the mill wrong thing guys, right? They led it. They did it. They were the generals. They were the you know Jefferson Davis, Robert E. Lee, uh, and Tom Yawkey again. Jackie Robinson blamed him for the persistence of baseball's color barrier. He was the last one to integrate. But, you know, even he, like this is this is a guy who is, you know, and and I think people will make the point, and Jamie probably knows this better than me. That I think this one will become a flashpoint in sports for how far can it go? Yeah, how how deep are we yeah. going to go? Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think there's a point that, uh, you know, to paraphrase, Wes Lowry made this point on Twitter yesterday that. This to me, and and he said it, and and I agree with this is. Uh, there's a lot of people who who say we're erasing history, and I disagree with that. I think all of this is is we're we're reconsidering our history. Yeah. We're actually addressing and reconciling our history, and saying are these the people that deserve to be honored in not just public spaces, but but prominent public spaces. Yeah. And this goes. We were talking about Matt Bevan. In Kentucky, and you know, I've been covering the Lexington effort to move Confederate monuments there. It's not just that they have Confederate monuments; it's that those two Confederate monuments sit outside the historic courthouse in the middle of downtown, on the land that was one of the South's biggest slave auction sites. So it's it's not just that we honored them; it's where we have chosen to honor these people. Man, and that's and a I, very good point. I yeah. think Tom Yawkey fits that 
right? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, because Yaki Way, I mean, is literally the right. street is closed during Red Sox games. Right. It's one thing. It's one thing to say for the fans. It's the one fans thing celebrate that, on Yaki Way. Yeah, it's one thing to have a sign inside the stadium that says Tom Yaki owned the team from 1933 <laughs> to 1976. Right. It's a whole nother to name the entire street outside the park that is synonymous with Fenway. Yeah. Like you don't have to be a Red Sox fan to know what Yaki Way is. Sure. Sure, and sure. I, I think that's a thing that they're you will they're going to get the blowback. Kurt Schilling, our good friend has Kurt already, Schilling, has he, yeah, you're, you're, yesterday, your good friend yes, Kurt Schilling. yesterday <laughs> tweeted that uh, I think he said, "What the hell is John Henry doing? How far can this go? Books and photos are coming next." And it's like, well, you know, I don't think anybody's making the argument that we take it out of books. No, no, you need to read more. I books. would, yeah, I would make the argument that well, we, it should be featured in more books. Read the books, yeah. Like, we need to talk more about this in our books, especially in school. But, you know, this blowback's going to come. But, again, I think this is this is not erasing. No one's trying to erase Tom Yaki from history. What we're saying is, or what I, I think John Henry is saying is, as a franchise who, over the last decade or so, has its most prominent players have been black Latinos. Yeah. You know, from Manny Ramirez to Pedro Martinez, David Ortiz. Sure. You know, are... If this is who the Red Sox are now, is this the bit of history that we want to honor out there? I, I think, I think just to move it away from from the sports stuff for a second, I think that one of the things that really, when it really clicked for me, that this is supremely screwed up the way that we talk about the Confederacy, and I'm sure you've been here, is Stone Mountain in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. So I went there. It's, uh, it's- if it's you like don't the know Mount, Mount Rushmore of the Confederacy, it is. <laughs> when I was a kid, we went there on a uh, we went to the Atlanta field trip. I was in South Carolina. We went to Atlanta on a field trip, and we went to Stone Mountain. And if you're not familiar, it's a it's a giant mountain. Um, the the background of it is that it was where they founded the second KKK in in 1915. Uh, the state of Georgia now owns it. It's a giant mountain where they have carved the figures of Jefferson Davis. Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson into the side of the mountain. And not only that, but when you go there, I don't know if they still do this, but they did when I was a kid. Uh, they had a whole big laser light show. Oh, Lord. Where they tied it into. No, no, no. It, it, it was amazing. It's for the kids. What's the movie where Lincoln's like a zombie? Oh yeah, Abraham Lincoln, yeah. Vampire Hunter, yeah, like fighting yeah, Jefferson it's assen- Davis. The it's vo- essentially like right. so. There's like laser light shows, an American flag, and the Confederate flag, and this whole big sort of retelling through the lens of you know a Southerner of what the Civil War was all about. As terrifying. And as a kid, you, this is this, you're like you watch this, and I didn't I didn't get it as a kid. I was too young to really get it. And as a as a grown up, I went back. I took my kids, and I was right. like, it's so cool. It was awesome, and it gave me a little bit of pause that it's like but i am i also like at the time i was i just remembered it from being like awesome mm-hmm. as a grown-up i went and watched it. i was like oh my god right this is full-on confederate propaganda yes well and that's the thing with a lot of these statues right it's confederate propaganda it's, it's, it's people will say we're we, you, or again to the erasing history point no we need to tell it accurately yeah we need to tell it accurately and this is what the you know the the stuff in lexington they're not destroying those statues. Right. They want to move them somewhere where they, you know, I talked to people there, the mayor and vice mayor and several other people. It's, the goal is to move them 
somewhere where they can put them in context. Yes, yes. That's what I was saying earlier. I build a park. Build right. a giant park. I don't care where you put it. You want to put it in Richmond yes. because it was the capital of the Confederacy. I don't care. Put it there. Make a giant park, and you go in, and you say, this is who these people were. This is what they stood for. They fought to keep black people enslaved enslaved by rich white people in this period. We'll stop. And These were not brave men well, another who thing charted think, a brave path forward. Well, the other thing that I thought was interesting in Lexington was they're talking, a lot of the people are saying we want to we put them in a park with other Union statues, and we want to be able to tell the story of how these statues got here, because mm. those statues were not put there right after the Civil War. Right, right. They were right, put right, there right. as Reconstruction was taking place. Yeah. And... Uh, one lawmaker who was a historian, one city councilman who was also a history professor at the community college in Lexington, told me, he's like, these were a clear message to blacks in this city that white supremacy was back. Yeah. That those 10 years, 20 years after the war, where we started to reconcile, where we started to fully enfranchise African Americans and newly freed slaves, this was the message that, nah. Yeah. It's not, we're not doing that. It's not worth it. And we have never, I think that's the period that we don't teach well. You're 100% right. We don't, we don't, we haven't reconciled with the fact that we started that process right after the war and then broke it all down. And that's when all these statues, I mean, look. They don't teach, the, statues, they don't, they don't teach the second reconstruction right. very well and if in, these in statues history, were actually about history and about honoring the Confederacy, why are there so many in Arizona? Right. Why are there so many in places that don't, that weren't a part of the Confederacy? Kentucky has more Confederate statues than any state that wasn't part of the Confederacy. And granted, look, Kentucky has a rich history with the Civil War because it was a border state that sent people to both sides. Yeah, including, you know, Je- like Jefferson Davis was born in Kentucky. So was Abe Lincoln. Right, right, like, right, right, right. You right. know, um, it only it informs your worldview only so much. Right. But but there's a thing that like, why haven't we talked about that history in 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 Toto? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a really, really good point. And I think that. Look, I don't like. In fact, I hate the fact that the president of the United States is up there saying what he's saying and and using his platform to talk about keeping Confederate monuments. I hate it. But there is a moment here for us to sort of take a look at what this all really means. Yeah, I think so, too. And And I think that, look, we are kind of, it seems to be we are falling on the right side of things. It's painful, and it's... And it's going to suck, and we're going to have a lot more, like, really bad conversations, and we're going to have a lot more really bad outbursts But we from have the to have those conversations. But we have to. Like, we have to. And it, like, you know, I don't know how we actually got to this point where, I mean, you know, we don't have enough time to discuss all the ways we got to this point. But to the fact that we're relitigating slavery and Nazism is, come on. Yeah. But we do, we have to have the conversation especially among white people that like primarily among white people we have to be able to say look this is we did all that yeah no no you, you we we have to and it, look it sucks right right it's not easy but like that's okay right that's all right and it, it's we, not enough to say oh my ancestors didn't own slaves and i'm not a racist <laughs> well, right. no, no, my no, family no. never did it right it still happened <laughs> right and you know we we have to reconcile that yeah all right 
Let's take a quick break. Uh, Peter Ogburn sitting in for Bill Press. I got Travis Waldron with me, reporter from HuffPost. You can follow him on Twitter at Travis underscore Waldron, W-A-L-D-R-O-N, and uh, read his good work at HuffPost.com. We're going to take a very, very quick break. We will be right back. The president has not yet... Um has not yet been able to demonstrate the stability uh, nor some of the competence that he needs to demonstrate in order to be successful. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is The Bill Press Show, 33 minutes past the hour on a Friday, August 18th, as we send you off into the weekend with one last segment here on the program. We'd hope to be joined by Tyler Tynes from SB Nation, but he is not able to make it. So we are going to just carry on without him. Me, you, Travis Waldron, Jamie Benson. Uh... There's a lot of ground to cover still, y'all. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna keep on covering it. Remember that we put the entire podcast up at just look for Bill Press Show. Just look for Bill Press Show on iTunes. It's on iTunes. Uh, we also have the whole thing up. If you look at uh, BillPressShow.com, if you don't, if you're not an iTunes user, an Apple user, we got it there. Uh, lots of different ways you can reach out and touch the show. Uh, looking back on the, it's an old slogan: "Jay, reach out and touch someone." I, I didn't mean literally reach out and touch. Someone. Just caught me by surprise. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I do want to mention, by the way, that uh, we do put a lot of videos from the week up on our uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Uh, not only do we put the whole show up every day, but we pull out our favorite little snippets from every day. Uh, there's a great conversation up there uh, with Van Newkirk II from The Atlantic. He gets into a lot of the whole second yeah. reconstruction history lesson. That, Van's uh, awesome. He's, he's great, and we talked a lot about that with him. Uh, and also the whole idea that John Kelly is out here changing Trump. Uh, we've got videos up on that as well. <laughs> is it uh, just one long no? It's just a yeah, no! Like Ron Howard voice? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He did. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> uh, so we've got we got a lot of good stuff there. Uh, also, um, uh, Jess O'Connell, the CEO of the Democratic National Committee, she was in yesterday and talked a little bit about what the silence from the GOP actually means on uh, you know for us as a nation and how we move forward. So do check that out. YouTube.com slash the Bill Press Show. And I know I'm like in full carnival barker mode here but if you look at district productive and itunes we have a lot of other cool podcasts that we're producing out of this studio um including one about all about the eclipse with a scientist andrew Fracknoy and gil gross sits down all the questions you have about the eclipse i might have to listen to that because i don't get it well all right i'm full (laughs) on i'm full like i'm not a joiner i'm totally not a joiner i'm fully in on the like do i have to buy the glasses if you want to look at it you got to buy the glasses what if i just want to like sit inside and like look outside it's not good can i glance at it without the glasses honestly even if you look at it for even one second. I don't believe it. It'll that. cost, well, you know what? You can gamble with it if you want. I'm not. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to. Hey, free. we're on the radio. You know, I'm not going to stop you from doing it. You know? <laughs> I mean, you know, you might be tougher than me, buddy. You could give it a shot. Where do I get the glasses? So here's a deal I bought mine on Amazon months ago because I'm that guy. 
And then I got an email from Amazon this past weekend that said, hey, by the way, those glasses we sold you, they're they're counterfeit. NASA can't confirm that those are okay. So we're refunding your account, and you can just throw them away. But I'm screwed. i got to get glasses the week of the eclipse. I, I got them. I wonder if the Air and Space Museum is selling I heard them. Warby Parker was giving them out, but then I got to go to Warby Parker. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you don't live down there anymore. I could go to Warby Parker. I like Warby Parker. I'm repping Warby Parker. Shout out. <laughs> Shout out. Let me get those glasses, y'all. Uh, but, like, so I found some. But, like, yeah, but you, you got you to gotta have the glasses to look at the eclipse. Okay. And it's funny because they're calling this the all-American eclipse because we get eclipses all the time on, on, on this planet. It's but not, this one goes, like, all across the nation, All right? across the nation. It goes from, from like the South north, Carolina the to northwest Idaho. all the way down to South Carolina. So it's like a – so New York and, like, lower California, they're going to miss out. In fact, all of California is pretty much going to miss out on the full eclipse. Bummer. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they 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 get everything. They finally else. missed something. I know, right? <laughs> but then in New uh, Yorkers are still going to tell us how how in, the, the real eclipse is better. In New yeah, York. exactly. In, in seven years, though, there's another eclipse that's going to hit us, and it's going to go the other direction. Oh wow! Yeah, so it's going to crisscross the other way. You know where I learned that from the podcast. Right? When do lunar <laughs> eclipses happen? What's that? When do lunar eclipses happen? What, what, what do I look like, Mr. Wizard? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no... <laughs> well, my Good that is, that's, that's episode two Mr. of the podcast. Wizard. I put the ass in Neil deGrasse Tyson. I have no Mr. idea what Wizard. happened. That is a deep cut. You used to watch Mr. Wizard, right? Oh, yes. I watched Mr. Wizard. Do you ever see that clip? We're going off on a tangent here. <laughs> Do you ever see that clip? Of where Mr. Wizard has zero tolerance for the kids he's working with? No. The kids are like, so, Mr. Wizard, what happens if I put oil and water together? He's like, well, Timmy, the oil flows to the top, obviously. Did you not learn that? Moron. Yeah, he's like, he's like, you stupid kid. Just shut up and leave me alone. Timmy's like, I'm six. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wizard was like Mr. Rogers' disgruntled like brother. By the way, I just Googled Mr. Wizard and went to videos. And the first video that shows up is titled, no joke, Mr. Wizard's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Wizard was a dick. He was a total dick. He would not. You should listen to some of that, Jamie, because these kids would ask these questions and he would go, essentially, like, what are you, stupid? You don't know this already? It's great. And he was, Mr. Wizard was like a shop teacher. Yeah. He wasn't like cute and cuddly like great. Mr. Rogers. No. Was, I loved Mr. Wizard. He was loved the best. I anyway, I can't tell you anything about the lunar eclipse, but I, I, I can tell you I'm pretty amped for this one. So we're gonna we're going we're gonna go to Charleston, which is like a good place to see. We're gonna yeah. be on the beach for it. The paper you wasted. You count that as a fold? That's yes, no. <laughs> okay. Because I already see that it's not random. Don't jump to conclusions. Why isn't it random? You, I thought told you to write down random numbers. What do you mean not exactly? You can be here or can't you? Well, you're right, but for the wrong reason. So <laughs> is that great? That's fantastic. He's such an ass. I, I'd watch hours of that on YouTube. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <clears throat> How do I segue back to um, the racist country that we live in? Gosh, I don't know, but I'm going to try. Um, I, I want to talk about Colin Kaepernick, uh, Travis, because uh, we, we were going to dig into this a little deep uh, with, with Tyler Tynes, who's done a lot of work on this for SB Nation. But, you know, we, we still are having this fight. Well, it's more it's, over Colin Kaepernick. It's more important now than ever. I mean, we. It, oh no! Look, I think it's important no, to right, have. No, it, no, I know. But yeah. I, what I'm saying is, I think it's 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 almost amazing that here we are a year later, and his protest is only being amplified. It's yeah. not. It didn't like it. It it didn't peter out. No. Like when when Mahmoud Abdul Rauf did this in 1995. Oh my God! He was out of the league 
out of the NBA, um, you know, two years later. Yeah. But even, you know, a year after he did it, six months after he did it, we were done talking about it. It was over, yeah. I remember that. And, you know, here we are, and I think a lot of people thought or wondered coming into the season before the preseason started, is this going to continue happening? Because Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a team. He has said even if he does have a team, he's done protesting. NFL season is upon us. Right. And then you get the first batch of preseason games. Marshawn Lynch sits down. We still don't know why. Right. Like, he hasn't said why. Right. Um, But you can guess. I got a few guesses. And now Malcolm Jenkins comes out and continues his protest. He he didn't kneel, but he's been a Philadelphia Eagles player who didn't kneel, but he's held his fist in the air, right fist in the air. He started this beginning of last year, right? Yes. Jenkins was one of the first ones to join Kaepernick in it. And now last night, Chris Long, who is a white player, yeah. walked this forward is... and put his arm around Malcolm Jenkins while he was protesting. Chris Long, of course, it played at the University of Virginia. Mm-hmm. So the events of this past weekend are fresh in his mind. This is about to get very, very, very interesting, I think, because it's really easy for a lot of people to um, – I don't mean this is something that's okay, but I think it's really easy for people to point to Colin Kaepernick – and turn this into something. Here's that clip from uh, uh, Chris Long where he talked about when he put his arm around Malcolm Jenkins. My thing is, this, you know, Malcolm's a leader, um, and, and I'm here to show support as, as a white athlete. That's important. I mean, like, it's, a, I, it's I, amazingly I, important yeah. because it goes back to what we were talking about in the last segment, which is we, it's, it's not enough for white people to just sit back and say they support these things. Right. Should, they got it. Like there are athletes the out line. there that show it. Put it. Put it on the line. Stand up. Colin Kaepernick put his whole career on the line for this. And in the year since, he's only been proven right. Yeah. That you know this is whether you agree or disagree with Colin Kaepernick. I think he's been clearly proven right that we need to talk about this and we need to do something about it. And you know he didn't. It wasn't like Colin Kaepernick did this and then stumbled his way through his explanation. He had clearly thought about it. He clearly said why he did it. His point is valid. Sure. At the very least, it's valid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's the you might not minimalist way of like, saying like, it. Like, if you don't agree with it. You might not agree on potential solutions, but you can't argue you that can't the problem argue with what he's saying. You, you can't, can't argue, argue with what that he's the problem it, doesn't yeah. exist. Exactly. Well, and you also can't argue against the removal of Confederate monuments and be outraged by Colin Kaepernick's protests. Bingo. Correct. Your priorities are in the wrong place yeah. if that's Correct. your argument. That's it. That's it. I think that, like, I know you're not going to like this because you're a Dolphins guy, but like the Dolphins brought. Bum ass Jay Cutler out look, of retirement. Look, if the Dolphins, I I don't own I own one Dolphins T shirt. I am not exactly like Dolphins Stan. Look at this guy. I know, no, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm not trying to say that, but I, I think. The but point- if, if the no, my I'm to finish this. If the Dolphins had signed Colin Kaepernick, jersey time. Yeah. Hell, I would have bought a jersey. I would have bought a Dolphin now, jersey. I don't even watch the, the NFL. The, the Dolphins thing was, uh, I think the Miami thing was slightly complicated by a few factors, sure. which is one. The fact that he wore the Castro T-shirt yeah. last year in Miami. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is that. I don't know if that would have gone over so in well. Case, by the way, in case you're not familiar, uh, Colin Kaepernick, who is available to play as a NFL quarterback, was not chosen by any team, but they brought Jay Cutler, who is a mediocre quarterback at best. 
who had retired. They brought him yeah. out of retirement yeah. to play. Like that was their better option than Colin Kaepernick. Oh uh, yeah. By the way, you talk about that jersey. Uh, so the Colin Kaepernick 49ers jersey, I'm seeing it more and more. It was oh, the, wow. I think and he he's was, this is the thing everybody says he's he was a distraction or everybody who stopped watching the NFL. It was like the fourth or fifth biggest jersey last it, year. It was, and this is from August 1st. Uh, still, he is in the top 50 list of jerseys sold, which is a big deal. For a guy who's not are, in the league. What, 52 players on each team, Travis? Uh, 53. 53 players on each team. He's number 39. Right now. Or last check to August 1st, which is not that long ago. It's amazing. If you watch that Vice documentary, I noticed this. After the car crash, when people are reacting, you see someone with a Kaepernick jersey. Yeah, Yeah, you did. You did. Um, I think think Colin Kaepernick is, in a weird way, I wonder if, if his message will only get louder if he's not on a team. And I'm, I'm at the point now where... Um, I feel fairly confident saying that he's he's probably not going to be on a roster come uh, week one. Oh yeah, I and think that's probably true. I, I I I am skeptical. I know a lot of people are holding out hope that he will be signed. You know, injury happens here and there um, that he'll be signed, and and I I don't I don't think so. Yeah, uh, I don't think. I'll disagree with that. I don't think the NFL owners are ready to have the conversation that Colin Kaepernick wants to have. And I don't think NFL owners are comfortable with the way he did it. Sure. And it's not just that he did it during the national anthem. It's that the NFL is very much a next man up, all of these guys minus like six of them are imminently replaceable. Yep. And you are expected to keep your nose down hit the guy in front of you, and otherwise don't talk. Yeah. And it wasn't just that Colin Kaepernick said something to the media, that he spoke about something in the, you know, in a press conference. We've seen guys do that all the time. Richard Sherman's done that. Andrew Hawkins did it when back when uh, Tamir Rice was killed. You know, it's that Colin Kaepernick brought this to the forefront and, and showed the... Showed these players that they could too. And it spread across the league. And I think the NFL owners are not ready to watch a player express his power like that. I think that's probably, I think that's very well put. Yeah, I think that's very well put. Especially a black player. And especially a quarterback. Right. Because it's not just that Colin Kaepernick is a a player. He's a quarterback. And, you know. A team leader. And for all all the guys that say, you know, look. The 49ers did a great job of backing him up last year. Yeah. And their owner donated money to the same charities he donated money to. He still started, but 12 games. Um, I my understand, I think there were some bridges pre-burnt yeah. in San Francisco yeah. that prevented him from really ever returning there. But, you know, I, I think this is – Either way, Colin Kaepernick's message is only getting louder. Yeah. Whether he's on a team or or not. Yeah, I think that I, I think that's going to be the legacy is all the people that are coming out now, and you're seeing more and more of it. And the NFL season hasn't even gotten mm-hmm. underway, and I think the NFL players look and, and more the, than others are are able to speak out. And the will other speak side out. of this is you know so many people say, well, stop protesting and do something. 
Yeah. These guys are. Yeah, exactly. Malcolm's, you know, Colin Kaepernick is out Colin here. Colin Kaepernick out of a job. He's out of a job. He's also out here donating money to these charities. Right. And, you know, he what he was out on the street buying suits buying for men suits who needed a job out. interview. Yeah. Malcolm Jenkins. How can you argue against that? Right. Malcolm Jenkins, Jonathan ba- uh, Badamosi, and Anquan Bolden and Dante Stallworth were in the Capitol talking to lawmakers about police brutality issues. Yeah. They they did a whole hearing. But that's not an issue that resonates with, the, with white football Really fans. the only thing that you can criticize Kaepernick for, and this is a very small thing, was when he wore the socks uh, during practice with the cops as pigs. Sure. You know what I mean? Well, by the because way, I'm not going to criticize him for that. I, I, I'm not I know either, plenty of people can, and that's fine. I'm not. Conservatives say that's inciting <laughs> violence against police, and that's just not I don't think that's what it is. What it is. And, and I, I it's just, a little insensitive, sure, maybe, but maybe. cops. I got no problem with it. But the thing- and Don't trust the police. <laughs> Is that such a bad message? Sorry, <laughs> I, I mean that's me, and I'm not, I'm not. That's not necessarily what he's saying, but like, no, I don't care if he says something bad about the police. I don't. I don't trust the police ever. Right. Did you see what Roger Goodell said about it this week? No, he he came out and he said that, which I thought was about as good. And you, you I think you know that I am not exactly Roger Goodell's biggest. <laughs> We've fan. covered that territory with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the you know, for the NFL commissioner to come out and essentially say, uh. I he I think his words were something to the effect of the national anthem is a very special moment for me, and I will always stand up for it. But we have to respect that our players have rights. Look, uh, I think that's about as good as Roger Goodell can, sure. is going to do. Sure, like we sh- probably shouldn't expect him. Would it be nice if Roger Goodell went farther than that? Sure. Yeah, it would be powerful. I mean, look, I don't look, know that like, we can. I, I don't. I don't necessarily throw Bill under the bus here, but like Bill's one of those guys that he gets annoyed when someone doesn't stand up for the for the national anthem. He's an old school guy. Uh huh. That's fine. I understand that. I think I think he's way more sympathetic to Colin Kaepernick and his cause, but he's just one of those guys. It's like well, you should stand up for that. Look, and the thing the thing this always goes back to for me is it's fine if that's how you view the national anthem. Yeah. That's great. Maybe you should understand or try to understand. Just listen right. to why Colin Kaepernick doesn't see it that way. Yeah. I get it. I totally and get it. And why a whole lot of people in this country might not see it that way. Um I do want to give a little breaking news in here that is not sports related. Um, Susan Bro is the mother of Heather Heyer, the uh, protester from Charlottesville that was killed by the car that ran into, slammed into the crowd of protesters. Uh, she had a very, very uh, moving memorial service uh, where Susan Bro spoke earlier this week and said, essentially, you know, Heather was willing to put it on the line for this. You wanted to silence her. We're going to make sure that the exact opposite happens. We're going to blow this up. We're going to turn her message into something far more powerful than she could have when she was alive. Uh, she just spoke uh, to – it was Good Morning America, right, Jamie? Is that, is that where she yes. was? Good Morning America? A couple of nuggets out of what she said. First of all, she said that Donald Trump did finally try and call her during her daughter's funeral. Oh, man. Which – Best case scenario is highly incompetent. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's do, let's get it. Um, I have not, and now I will not. Um, at first, I just missed his calls. Uh, the call, act, the first call, it looked like actually came during the funeral. Um, I didn't even see that message. There were three more frantic messages from press secretaries throughout the day, and I didn't know why that would have been on Wednesday. And I was home recovering from the exhaustion of the funeral. 
Yeah, I mean, I, her daughter's been dead for less than a week, and she's got to deal with this from right. the president of the United States of America. And that clip that she's answering a question of, have you talked to him? She says, I haven't talked to him, and I will not talk to mm-hmm. him. She will not speak to him. Good. She's been amazing through this. Uh, Remarkable. This uh, one of one of my colleagues actually was, I think, the first to interview her and knocked on her door, in, and uh, she was open to talking and basically said right away, like it, you know, I'm proud of her. Yeah, she was out there doing what she believed in, and as you said, she put it, she backed it all up, and you know, for her mother to now, you know, say that basically. Is. I, I know that this is distant history, and we've probably forgotten about this with as, as often as this happens, but at, shortly after the election, when there was the attack in Ohio State, uh, and uh, there were some people killed, and Donald Trump flew to Columbus, Ohio, met with the victims in private, met with the Ohio State police officer who killed the attacker, attacker who, who happened to be of Muslim descent, Um. And like went way out of his way to make sure that he made this a moment. And the best he can come up with for the mother of Heather Heyer is to call her during her daughter's funeral. It's like it also like took I said, him, what like three hours yesterday to tweet about Barcelona. Y- yeah, versus three like, days. Yeah, to- three days before he put anything out on Charlottesville, and like hours after Barcelona, right. he's essentially saying we need to kill Muslims that with right. bullets that have been dipped in pig's blood. By the way, those calls to Heather Heyer's mother, uh, also being on the day of the funeral, also the day right after Donald Trump's ridiculously offensive yeah. press conference at Trump Tower, the day after. The fact that he didn't reach out. It, it, was he going to say, what did you think of my press conference? You know, I really, uh, I really. Did you see what nation. he said at didn't the press conference? She said really nice she things. She said, though? that was his takeaway. Did you see what the mother said? Did you see what the mother said? She said some great things about me. And I would encourage all of you to go look at what she said, because she said some great things about me and, and, and. I mean, like, I, I do, I do think we're now at a point, and I know that every that there's going to be some, there are going to be some people who think that this is insensitive and this is bad, and I'm not making a joke out of this. I'm being a hundred percent sincere. We need to have a very serious conversation in this country about the mental health of our president. <clears throat> Truly, the man is not well. Travis, uh, you also have another story, which this was a terrible, terrible visual. ESPN, which is now uh, fully leaning into uh, the fantasy football world. I don't, I don't do fantasy sports. It's not for me. I think it's silly. Um, I do it. That doesn't surprise me. Well, I know. I'm, I feel a little weird about it, but I do it. It's like, uh, I'm not going to go off on a tangent. I, I got a tangent. I'm not going to go off on it. I just think it's dumb. I, th- I think it's just dumb. It's like, uh, but but so, p- p- if you're not familiar with fantasy shout sports, you, you like, what? said shout out FanDuel. <laughs> shout out our friends at FanDuel. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Um, Former sponsor of the show. <clears throat> um, so the whole idea with fantasy football is you find good players, you draft them, and you pick, and there's a whole, like, you know, you usually do it with friends and get together and all this stuff. So ESPN put out this promo for fantasy football, their their fantasy football marathon, where a group of white dudes, doughy white dudes, i.e. the, the demo for fantasy football, <laughs> uh, are bidding with, like, an auction, holding up, you know, bidding on... Players. Um, some of them 
most of them black players. Yeah, it wasn't a great, wasn't great optics. And like, look, I don't think ESPN was doing anything like specifically racist. Uh, no, but I, I think, think they that, just, that really they just, it was a it was a major blind spot. Which totally, I think uh, Clint, which is a problem. I think Clinton made the point this week that you know. You should probably have more black executives uh, yeah. um, and producers. But also, a, a black producer, a black executive right. would have spotted that and, and said, uh, no. But also, I mean, this is, you know, I wrote about this this week and RIP my mentions, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I knew was coming. I, can I just only imagine. turned off Twitter after it went published. Uh, but I started, I watched it and I was like, this is outrageous. You know, this is gross. But also, this looks a lot like fantasy football. Yeah. And so, you know, we were looking into the demographics of fantasy football, and it turns out that 90% of fantasy football players are, are white, and 80% are men. Yeah. And 70% of the NFL is I was going to say, what's the black? percentage of black players in the NFL? 70%? 70%, okay. yeah. roughly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not so good at math there, Travis, yeah. but that's not a good equation. Right, and, and so, you know, it, a lot of people, I think, when they read this piece and they thought I was calling fantasy football racist, or that I was calling... Okay. That I was anti-fantasy football. And it's yeah. like, no, I think we need to, you, you know, it was more like if you watch that ESPN segment and you were uncomfortable with it, you need to think about the fact that that is how fantasy football like operates in practice. Mm. And I think there's, you know, it dovetails into the point that we're, uh, that I think that this conversation has been growing among players and some in the media more and more is that what is the effect of fantasy football on the player, on the participants, not the actual players, but the in the way they view the players, which is, are we actually, are we turning into owners ourselves instead of, you know, and changing the way, skewing the way that we view their labor and their health? And yeah. I think that's a conversation we need to have. It's not anti-fantasy football. It's just maybe think about it. Think about it. All right, y'all. That's the show. Whole hour with me and Travis Waldron and Jamie Benson and you. Thank you for watching. Go download the podcast on iTunes. Go check that out. Thank you so very much for watching. Thank you so very much for listening. Let's get out of here. This Have a good weekend, y'all. This is the Bill Press Show.